0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the iFreak Show. Today on our panel, we have Michael Holt. How's it going, everybody? Uh, this is James Zuber. I'm calling in from Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we have a guest today. Please welcome Jason Zarita.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me on. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io.
0: Jason, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah. Uh, so I am an iOS engineer. Uh, my background is in electrical engineering, and kind of around the time I was in school, I, uh, I found uh, the iPhone programming became a thing, and I was very interested in it. So I made a couple games that that wound up in the App Store, and uh, then when I graduated, I, I started work as an electrical engineer, and then. Uh, Always had an interest in coming back to iOS programming and wanted to be tied uh, more into kind of the startup world and the uh, faster-paced tech industry. And so I uh, put in the effort to to talk computer science language so I can convince someone that I can iPhone, I can program for an iPhone, and uh, made the transition. And it's been uh, kind of history ever since.
0: Very cool. Double E's for life. You know. I found my way into software. I'm not sure even how anymore, but um, yeah, I start doing electrical engineering stuff, and, but yeah, that's my history. That's awesome. So, well, we brought you on the show because you wrote a blog post about uh, using Swift on AWS Lambda. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So the, the title's um, uh, I guess pretty self-explanatory in a way. Um, so it's at running a website, using AWS Lambda, but powered by Swift. So uh, when someone goes to URL, uh, API Gateway routes it to a Lambda function that's running Swift and the, uh, the Swift executable um, generates some HTML and sends it back. And it's really, it was born out of uh, my love for, for Swift. I absolutely love the language. And kind of pushing to see where it can go outside of the Apple ecosystem. And uh, I've been doing, so I said I, I'm uh, an iOS engineer right now, but I've been doing a whole bunch of back end and front end work, and I've been exploring those areas. And uh, I guess the, uh, uh, I was interested in seeing if I can push uh, Swift to be used for, for a front end. And uh, I was exploring uh, using AWS Lambda already. So it was kind of interesting to see if I can make a, a Lambda function that that generated HTML using Swift.
0: Okay. Um, that's all really cool stuff. But let's take a moment and step back a little bit because a lot of our listeners are just client developers. We're writing apps, you know, server, totally different team, totally different people. We just consume it. Um, like what is AWS and what is Lambda?
2: Yeah. Okay, so um, most clients have a, a backend that they talk to if they need to uh, persist, say, some client information uh, or uh, or do some processing that needs to come back to, say, uh, show a, a list of store items or something that you want to show in, in your iOS app. And uh, typically... The, the back end for that lives in, it's a computer aka the cloud somewhere that uh, is running and responding to your request, your URL request to get these, the JSON that comes back. And so AWS or Amazon Web Services uh, exists to um, provide the kind of infrastructure for, uh, for server development. And Lambda is one of their somewhat newer options to, to run server code. Um, and it falls under the umbrella of serverless. So there's a server that's running, of course, but um, pretty much what you do is you write a, uh, some code that when invoked in the cloud somewhere will do whatever it is that you wrote it to do and then provide a result. So in my case, uh, the the Lambda function gets called by um, going to a particular website and the Lambda function runs on the server, um, Swift on, on Linux in this case, and it uh, it generates the HTML and sends it back.
0: Okay, how do you write server code without a server if it's serverless?
2: Yeah, so I, I kind of touched on it. Serverless is, is a pretty poor name. Um, there's still a server that's, uh, that, that's, um, behind the scenes and really what is, what Lambda is, is it, it's an abstraction layer on uh, a server that's running all the time. And so you're only billed for the amount of time that your function is running. And so whenever your code is running, it, it, it runs. Um, and then, uh, AWS basically picks up and says, okay, well, you, you ran for a few seconds. So I'm going to bill you for, for that amount of time. Um, But it is going back to your question. It it is running on a server. um, But the, the idea of maintaining the actual um, server that that's running all the time is abstracted away from you. So it's a little bit easier from that sense. And then they also handle things like scaling. So if you have a million requests that come in uh, like a, a, transient of traffic coming into your, your website or whatever um, code that you want to execute in the cloud, then AWS will take care of scaling that for you.
0: Okay, that makes sense. And just a step way back, in the old days, like if you're doing a startup and you got funding, you spent like a quarter of a million on your server before you could write any code and serve anything. That's just, that's just how it was. Um, with, with AWS, like you don't have to do that front, you just they host the service for you. You you, wire up, you fire up whichever ones you want. You can run it. That's that's cool. Um, but you still you have to manage the server and what's going on. Um, the Lambda it's a, a newer paradigm where you don't have to manage the server. You know you just say hey when this request comes in do this thing. Um, right. So, so it's a way to um, not have teams of ops things when your company's not ready for that.
2: Yeah yeah it's, it's a great way to get started if you need to have some. Uh, cloud functionality and it 's kind of interesting actually that uh, AWS offers a traditional server where you can manage the scaling and and then they came out with lambda that competes with with uh, themselves in a way, but uh, it seems to be their theme that they're they're innovating at such a rapid pace that they 're just trying to uh, beat themselves
0: um, cool so tell us about using Swift with lambda. We all love writing Swift in our client apps or you know our iPhone apps how do we write backend code uh, on Lambda.
2: Yeah, Uh, so the the way that that I do it is you, uh, I use a Docker container and uh, if you're not familiar with Docker, just pretend like uh, it fakes being a a Linux environment and you're not gonna, you could have a Mac OS cloud computer running, but uh, that's just not what
0: AWS offers. And, okay, uh, so there, there's no cloud Yeah, and there right. are actually servers on serverless and we're faking a container. Okay. right. Am I, am I getting this right?
2: Yeah, yeah. And so the, the whole idea of this Docker container is so that you can fake running uh, your code in an environment that, where it will be deployed. So when you actually deploy your, uh, your Swift executable that, uh, to Lambda, you're basically faking the environment locally on your Mac. And that's what Docker lets you do. So we can dive into that a little bit more if you want to. But the idea is that Amazon has this thing um, that's called um, an Amazon, uh, I think it's like Amazon Linux. And it's their version of Linux that runs in, in Lambda. And so you could run your Swift code in a Linux environment. And now y- you are kind of divorcing yourself from, from the iOS ecosystem in a way, where UIKit doesn't uh, exist, Foundation exists, but it's a different version of Foundation. And so, um, but the, the community has done an amazing job at, at getting Foundation's parity on Linux to be similar to that on, uh, say, an iOS app.
0: Okay, so one of the benefits of docker is that you can get it to run on your own machine you know, without yeah. having to do all your your editing on you know, the AWS website or however that works um, how do you set up docker
2: uh, so you go to docker's website and you install it it's pretty pretty simple okay uh, and that that's one of the beauties of of docker is that uh, once you have it installed and then i if you, if you go to the blog post that I have, uh, somewhere towards the bottom, um, there is a make file that I wrote. And what it does is there's a command that says Docker run, run my Swift code, uh, and it will spin up a Docker container using the, um, uh, the Linux environment that you want, like the, the Amazon one that I had mentioned. And uh, run my code. And so there, there's actually I should I should say there's two flavors of uh, what I wrote in this blog post. So there's local development, and then there's the the Docker stuff that we were just talking about. The there is a way for Swift will just run on your Mac because um, uh, because it can, and you uh, I have a setup where I will generate an index.html file from the Swift code that you're developing. So you can do local development to see what your website looks like. And then when you're ready to package it all up, you have to package it with Docker because you need it to be built against the Linux environment, if that makes sense.
0: Okay, um, very cool. So with this, you're just creating a, like a website generator, like a, like a Jekyll type
2: thing. Yeah, yeah, in a way. Um, okay. The my the blog that I have um, runs on Jekyll, and it's pretty similar.
3: Okay have you uh, Have you looked at other options? Uh, so, just as an, as a developer, um, and having looked into uh, server side Swift. Uh, options. Um, this is, this is a brand new one. So I kind of like this idea, this approach, uh, but have you, uh, have you compared it to things like, uh, uh Vapor or, or Kitura or perfect, um, which are other server side Swift options? Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Uh,
2: yeah. Uh, so a little bit, um, I, I've played with, with Vapor and Ketura, uh a bit, those, uh, Swift server side, uh, Solutions are more robust and built out, so they they uh, they have the solution to to build a front end and a website uh, built into them. But they're also managing the uh, the scaling of the server uh, that you have running, and they'll also you could also do a lot more robust processing of of the incoming route that's coming in. So if you need to return JSON for um, a customer that's in your database then you can uh, those solutions are more built out for uh, for that kind of of um, a backend and so the the blog post that I wrote is really centered around the beginning exploration about how to use uh, AWS lambda and serverless and to start exploring how Swift can run in a much more lightweight uh, kind of deployment solution and do some simple functions. So let's say you didn't want a website, you could run, uh, you could have it um, uh, hit a URL if you want, process the JSON and then send it back to your client. And it could also maybe, one thing that I've been looking at exploring a little bit more is uh, interacting with, like how do you have a database with with AWS Lambda? And uh, that ties into uh, you could use DynamoDB, which is another a- AWS offering, but uh, Katora and Perfect and all those and, and uh, Vapor, they're, they're going to provide all of those uh, things right out of the box.
3: Yeah, and those also seem to be solutions that are more based on, a, they're not serverless, basically, whereas your solution here is, is more serverless. Right. Okay, that's cool. Um, what, deb- what about what uh, about um, templating? So, so why 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 do you not recommend templating templating with uh, with, with your solution with AWS? Uh, so,
2: with templating, you lose a lot of the the Swift type safety, and so I'm using in in the blog post a DSL or domain specific language that was created by uh, the folks at Point Free. I don't know if you've ever heard of of them, but it's a video tutorial site teaching uh, uh, functional programming in Swift. And the really great thing is that they dog food everything that they're talking about. So their entire website is backed by Swift. It's Swift on the server. It's a Swift generated um, front end. So the, the website's in Swift also. And... Um, they wrote this this domain specific language to generate HTML from using Swift, and uh, so you get all of the enforcement of type safety in Swift, uh, and then it also codifies a lot of things that would be a little bit looser. So, taking a step uh, a step higher, I guess, is that the you can encode the uh, the HTML spec. So you couldn't do invalid things um, that HTML wouldn't let you do. Uh, and going back to templating is that you, you're really writing a, um, uh, a, a skeleton of what your, your site would look like. And then you're filling at all of the um, the dynamicism uh, for that template. And so it's, it's not, there are bugs that can get introduced uh, because of that, because it's not um,
0: type checked
3: very cool. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Uh, so tell us
0: some about about some of the libraries you're using for this. Um, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Okay, what, what, what libraries are you using?
2: Yeah. So, so there's a, uh, quite a bit to unpack here. So I mentioned the, uh, the DSL, uh, written by the, the folks at point free. And, uh, so it uses two of their libraries. There's, uh, HTML or Swift HTML. So that gives you the, the domain specific language for writing HTML and then to style the HTML, they have a, a Swift CSS. And so that's another package that, that lets you uh, connect all of the, the stylings to HTML. And then the, there's AWS Lambda and, and that's an offering. That's not so much a, a package that, uh, that you need to, to manage, but that's the deployment environment. But there's an extra little wrinkle in that AWS Lambda, lets uh, when it natively supports Python and JavaScript and it doesn't natively support Swift. And so they at uh, AWS came out with this thing called AWS layers that lets you write a layer, which can be a language runtime. And you can have, uh, in this case, the Swift runtime as an AWS layer that your Lambda function, and now this is maybe starting to get a little bit complicated, but the Lambda function sits on top that your Swift executable on the layer, and the layer is the runtime for, uh, for the, your Lambda function to run, uh, which is in Swift in this case. And we can step back to that, but I'll I'll keep stepping through the the different things that I I use here. Um, Then to do the routing to your Lambda function, because your Lambda functions are really just a a, a cloud function waiting to get called. And it can get called a number of different ways. And one of those ways is through a URL request. But that URL request needs to get routed to the Lambda function, and the way that happens is through API Gateway. Um, And so that's another AWS offering. And um, moving on, if you're gonna be doing any sort of uh, Swift on Linux, you're gonna want to start using the the Swift Package Manager. And uh, my project certainly does, and it pulls in the dependencies, like the DSLs that I, I spoke about and uh, use a Swift package manager for that. And then I, the, I use a make file um, just to make the uh, executing and building the Swift executable, uh, make that a little bit easier.
0: Okay, let's talk a little bit more the, about the layers. So it's, you give it Swift code, it converts to something else. Is that is that Java, Python, is that something below both of them? What, what's happening there?
2: Yeah, so the the Uh, the AWS layer, it's really cool. It can do a whole bunch of things. Uh, And like I said, the one thing is creating a runtime for Swift to run in. And there's a project that I found that um, I forget the individual's name, um, but it talks, I guess to put it in its most basic form is it talks uh, AWS Lambda talk. (laughs) And it allows... Uh, it builds the Swift runtime so that you can build uh, your functions, your Swift functions on top of that. And so it's totally native. There, there were some uh, versions of AWS uh, Lambda functions running Swift, but using a JavaScript uh, kind of uh, facade in a way. So the JavaScript can run natively in AWS, like I mentioned before, and... The uh, the JavaScript would start a process, which was your Swift code, and it was really neat, but it wasn't really that performant because it was JavaScript that w- you're going through an intermediate layer. This Lambda AWS layer is a totally um, real Swift runtime for for the Lambda functions.
0: So who's in charge of? Uh- Maintaining this this runtime.
2: So you when you build it, you build it one time, and then you upload it to to AWS as a layer, and then you can you can now uh, use it for any Lambda function that you want uh, that you're running Swift in. And so you just basically when you're building your your Lambda function, uh, you you tell it I want it to use this uh, this custom runtime and this is the layer that I want to give it. And so you're, you're basically the one who's maintaining it. And uh, I got bit by the, a, uh, the ABI stability bug a little bit. And now, now that we're ABI stable for, for Swift, this, this won't be an issue. But before ABI stability, um, the interesting thing that I came across is that when I built the, the Swift runtime, I did it with a non-ABI stable, uh, version of Swift, and then I have a part two to the the blog post. And so when I went to go update the website for part two, I compiled the Swift executable that that generates the HTML and CSS and with a new version of Swift. I uploaded it, and the and the lambda function just totally blew up. Uh, and it was uh, a really uh, satisfying moment to actually know how ABI stability. Uh, comes into play. And so now the runtime, if you're building it with Swift 5 uh, and later, you should hopefully have a, a much more minimal amount of maintenance that you need to do with the runtime.
0: Okay, very cool. So would you recommend using this type of setup for a personal blog? Or what type of systems would this work for?
2: Yeah. Uh, so I guess there's there's two parts to the, the answer. The first thing is... I, I think that Swift Lambda functions are something really great to explore in themselves. Uh, something I'm, I'm doing currently at work requires a, a, a Lambda function to uh, call in and make a, an external call. And it just needs to do its one little job really well all the time. And that's a great candidate for, for having um, a, a Swift um, AWS Lambda function. And it's really great because if your background is in iOS development, then you're writing the same language that you are in uh, for your, your client code. Uh, The other thing is as far as this being something that um, is practical for websites, I definitely want to keep exploring this. And one thing I think that might be really interesting to see is how Swift UI ties in to getting outside of Apple the Apple ecosystem. There's already a couple yeah, I was projects. Just gonna ask. <laughs> What's that?
3: I was just gonna ask that. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm really interested to see there's also there's a couple of projects that popped up that is using Swift UI to uh, to generate HTML. And it would be very interesting to see if we can start using it in areas like like what I did. Uh, and so there's more exploration that, that I'd like to do around um having a website run purely and see what kind of scaling that you get and the, the response time from the website. But generally everything seems to be uh pretty great and and promising, especially as as Swift continues to be maturing as a language and, and continuing to break out of the uh the Apple ecosystem. And uh one other thing to add to that is AWS Lambda is extremely cost effective. So when I first launched the uh, this blog post, I, I got picked up by iOS um, Dev Weekly, which was pretty cool. And I got a, a bunch of incoming traffic and my, my pricing went up for AWS by 5,000% and with a grand total of $0. So uh, it's... Uh, it's pretty interesting how uh, cost-effective you c- it could be to to run server code using AWS.
0: Um, that's very cool. So I'm a little bit I'm con- I'm curious about how SwiftUI outside of you know the Apple e- ecosystem, not ecosystem, but like Apple devices, like you know views, like iPhones, um, Macs. How would that even work uh, in the web world?
2: Yeah, that that's a really great question. There would need to be some sort of translation layer that that converts your uh, Swift UI code to HTML. And a, a couple of folks have uh, seemed to have been playing with that. And not entirely, this is kind of where things get a little bit fuzzy for me, but uh, uh, I'm interested to see how, how that's possible. I would imagine that there is some sort of translation layer between Swift UI and uh, if it's being run on um, AppKit or, or um, uh, UIKit, but I wonder where that middle layer is and, and how accessible it is for, uh, for us to port Swift UI to other things.
0: Okay, are there any projects we should we can check out, our blog posts?
2: Yeah, uh, so let's see, Vox, I think, is the name. There's an HTML DSL for Swift. Let me see. Yeah, I think this one talks about it. Um, maybe this is tied into using the function builders more than Swift UI. But then there was another, I think it was, uh, yeah, the blog is worth uh, doing it badly, rendering Swift UI views to HTML. And
0: okay. I found that one. Yeah. I'll drop in the show notes for, for our listeners. If you want to check that out.
2: Yeah, I also have it in, in the part two blog post um, along with Vox. But I, I'm interested, very interested to see if Apple comes out and says, you know, Swift UI could be, this is how you, you link to it to use it on other platforms. Okay. Uh, who knows if that'll happen, but it's, uh, I, I wouldn't be totally surprised.
0: Okay. Like what else is out there? People are trying to do with Swift UI. You know, I i wasn't considering people doing HTML with it. Um, anything else like crazy stuff they're doing?
2: I haven't seen anything uh, aside from seeing some really great, uh, examples on Twitter for, you know, different animations and, uh, I'm playing with it a little bit and seems to be extremely great with um, uh, just in general, but I haven't seen anything breaking out of the Apple ecosystem. Exactly.
3: I wonder if a prerequisite to that would be kind of like how they have foundation for, they had to rewrite it kind of for, for Linux. Um, I, I imagine something similar would have to happen with Swift UI as well.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it would be very interesting to see uh, if, if Apple comes out with a server uh, side framework themselves, maybe they use Swift UI as the front end language for that. Uh, that would be really cool.
0: That would be sweet. So um, yeah, what else can we talk about, about the, the blog post and what you're doing?
2: Yeah, I think we we touched about on pretty much everything. Uh, I, I definitely wanted to make note of the, the pricing uh, and it's it's really, it's interesting to see how Swift is kind of blooming on its own, uh, even outside of uh, Linux scripting. And Swift is really great. But uh, I think we covered everything pretty much for the the blog post.
3: Um, cool. Yeah, I got well, I got one last question. Uh, were you able to use Xcode for for most of this um, for most of this stuff?
2: So I use Vim for everything outside of Apple platform development. Uh, I I probably could have used Xcode, but I, I like Vim.
0: <laughs> so so <laughs> how like does that. <laughs> yeah how how does autocomplete work with Vim?
2: Yeah, so uh, it's not entirely great yet. Although with uh, the the language server protocol support that uh, Swift has now, uh, it's getting better. So the the autocomplete is a plugin that you can you can pull in with uh, the language server protocol. And I don't know if it's out of beta yet, but uh, that's going to make it a whole lot better. And then I I believe that Xcode is eventually, if not already, going to use the the same language server protocol. So Vim and any other IDE will have the same access to the autocomplete uh, that that Xcode already has.
0: Very cool. I I asked because I tried... Doing like iPhone development on Emacs a number of years ago. Um, this was before Swift, so it was to C, and I tried getting the autocomplete working, and it was it was just so slow. Yeah, um, at that point it was just unusable, so I couldn't get it to work, and I was disappointed. And but I'm glad to see Vim is having more luck, in. Probably Emacs too, if someone wants to play with it. All right, Emacs people, that's your challenge. <laughs> I'm, I'm not doing it. Yeah, I, d- I
2: definitely tried to use Vim uh, for for iOS development. And it's uh, Xcode has such a tight integration with that that Apple ecosystem that it's hard to not use it. But I, I did install my uh, the Vim key bindings. I got that working in uh, in Xcode, so I'm partially happy.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, let's let's get to the picks, uh, Michael.
3: What do you have for us? All right. Well, uh, this week I found uh, uh, an article on on Medium, um, uh, hosted by. Let's see if I can pronounce his name here. Uh, Besher Al Um But it's a it's a very in depth and very uh, good description of, of how and when to use uh, weak self versus unowned self versus just leaving it as a strong. Um, and, and the main focus of the article is that you don't always need weak self because I have to admit, sometimes I've just put in weak self in all of my uh, closures just, you know, just to be safe, which, you know, there's, there's not too much wrong with that, but it is, his, his article is mainly about how you don't necessarily need to. Um, and it was a really good read and, and helped me learn, um, about, uh, you know the the differences of when when those should be really used, when they need to be used, um, and how they should be used. Um, and then he also has a section about uh, escaping versus non-escaping closures, which was very informative as well. Um, so I'll make sure a link to that is, is put in the, is put in the description here.
0: Okay, very cool. Yeah, I I know I've I've gotten in the habit of just doing it reflexively, even though even in cases where I, like I don't need to this doesn't have to be weak because um, there's, yeah. the, cause there's the cases where like you know it doesn't have to be weak and there's cases where you know it does have to be weak and there's the in-between equations where you're like, oh, wait, this goes on a memory. Is it there? And like kind of you run around in circles and you, and you forget which case is which sometimes.
3: So, yeah, it's almost yes. like you
2: want to be safe than sorry and you just default to weak.
0: Right.
3: And yes, get, the, it, yes, that is the safe the safe way to do it. <laughs> like even if you know
0: you don't need week here, the person reviewing the code or encountering it in like a year or two is like, wait a minute, since we weak and they don't have to and they're then they're thinking about through the, the weird art cases that may or may not happen. But uh no cool, I look forward to checking out that blog post. Um, so I've got one pick. I, I got news today that someone I had known, um, a musician had had passed away. Um Jeff Austin played in the Yonder Mountain String Band, which is a bluegrass band, and they started in the late 90s. Um, One of the later bluegrass bands was for a long time. There were very few bluegrass musicians out there, but they kind of started a resurgence in the early 2000s. And people I knew knew him, so I got to meet him a couple times, but he passed away. I heard the news today, so I'm just going to share a couple albums I liked of his Um, and the Yonder Mountain String Band, if you like bluegrass. Um, it's good stuff. So one of the albums is Elevation, which is one of their first albums. Uh, this album, uh, album I listened to a long time ago and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, got Daryl Anger on fiddle, if that's uh, if that's the thing to you. If you know Bluegrass, you probably know Daryl Angle. Uh, so that's one good album. And he did a, a solo album, I guess a duo album with Chris Castino at the Big Woo, who's a Minneapolis musician. And that's a good album. Came out in 2004. Uh, Songs from the Tin Shed. So yeah, still processing the, that he is no longer with us, but those are some good albums that I've enjoyed and and you might too, if you like bluegrass or just acoustic music. So check it out. Uh, Jason, do you have a pick for us?
2: Yeah. Uh, it's funny. We already started talking about Vim cause I had it slated down to uh, uh, as one of my picks. Um, but really just Vim and Emacs in general. Uh, there's a lot of uh, Holy war between the two and, and Somebody uh, told me, "Just pick one, learn it, use it for to to take notes, and uh, you 'll see that that there 's so much power in it, and that person was totally right. I ended up choosing vim because that 's what he was familiar in, and it 's easier to have somebody to to help you and uh, I got vim key bindings installed in xcode and and I learned all sorts of interesting things about just how computers work and code works where uh, originally, when I started iOS development, I always thought the project file was this like magic, super special file. And it's really all code is just text and editors are just, you know, a nice layer on top of that to make it look pretty. And I uh, highly recommend uh, checking one of those out. And then you also have the the side benefit of being more productive in coding since you don't have to use a mouse as much. Um, and I also wrote a blog post if anybody wants to, to check it out. Um, about getting started and and how to um, get the key bindings working in Xcode?
0: Um, Very cool. No, I, I, if I can go back, I would probably choose Vim over Emacs. Um, Funny enough, like the first time I had ever programmed was with Vim, with VI way back in the day for for a college class. And we had a terminal that just was laggy and buggy. So you press escape and you didn't know what was going to happen. So I spent (laughs) most of my time just furious at the at the thing not doing it right. Hit escape. Is it in edit mode? I don't know. So I came to doing started doing Linux development, you know, the one of the leads just told asked me, um, so you're gonna want to pick an editor, either Vim or Emacs, something like that. I'm like, well definitely not Vim, so I'll try this Emacs thing. <laughs> <laughs> um but now I have the key I have the key bindings in my fingers. They're they're just stuck there. But that, that's just how it is. But um no. Uh Vim Vim's good stuff, I think. If I could go, go do go do it again, I think the philosophy is a little bit more my style. Every time I like want to actually write code in Emacs, I end up just messing with Emacs for three hours.
2: Yeah, <laughs> that same thing with Vim. Uh there'll be some days where I get nerd sniped pretty bad and I, I try to find out how to get indenting to work in a special way and, and right. You know, that's several hours down the drain.
0: It's like, Oh, I I'm, I'm writing a Python today and this doesn't line up right. Let me figure out how to fix that. And oh yep. I didn't get anything done. So. <laughs> Now, so for code, I am not use any of those, but my Git, that's definitely Emacs, let me tell you. Um, cool, so Jason, uh, if people want to get a hold of you, how can they find you?
2: Yeah, I, uh, I'm i on Twitter, uh, Jason Alex Zarita. I had to put the middle name in there because somebody has Jason Zarita. Uh, and uh, if you go to jasonzarita.com, that's the blog. Uh, that's my, my site where I blog. I try to write... About once a month, I've been a slacking on that a little bit uh, as of late. But um, uh, and I'll also be talking at SwiftFest that's coming up at the end of July. Uh, so if anybody's going and wants to the, the chat, uh, look me up.
0: All right, where is SwiftFest?
2: Oh, uh, I should have mentioned that it's in Boston.
0: Boston. Okay, very cool. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Jason. I, I learned a bunch about how to get stuff working on AWS Lambda. Um, so that's that's cool stuff
2: this was a lot of fun I I listen to the podcast all the time so this is great
0: very cool Uh, for everyone else we'll see you next week
1: bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly the world's fastest CDN deliver your content fast with Cashfly visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more